Let's hear from God's Word from Matthew 27. Uh, for our Easter passages, we're going to be in Matthew's Gospel on Friday night and then next Sunday morning. We tend to look at um, some portion of the Scriptures that deal with the Easter message, and it's, um, it's the turn of Matthew this year. Quite a long passage to verse 26 of Matthew 27. This is the Word of God. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 coins to the chief priests and elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. The chief priest picked up the coins and said, it is against the law to put this into the treasury since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. This is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 silver coins, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used it to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now, it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So, when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who's called Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they'd handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message, don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you, asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who's called Christ, Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. 
when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, let his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. We thank God once again for his word to us. Let's uh, pray as we come now to the word of God, Matthew 27. You should have it there open on your laps as we study together. Lord, these moments can be a, a source of great blessing if we engage with your word and we ask your spirit to work in our hearts, or it can be just a time to daydream, and such a waste it would be. So we pray that we will choose wisely and that you will enable us to hear what you have to say to us, to your church, to your people, through your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I think God is doing at least two things in the passage that's before us. I think, first of all, he's showing us what unbelief can do. He's showing us about the power of unbelief. But I also think he's showing us what a beautiful, loving, gracious, innocent Savior is Jesus. The narrative exposes these two things in the description of the greatest miscarriage of justice of all times. He who was truth faced lies. He who was love faced hatred. He who was the Lord of glory was mocked and spat upon and beaten and eventually killed. And in the midst of an evil and satanic trial, what we see is pure, absolute innocence in Jesus. Jesus, the perfectly innocent one stands in the midst of unadulterated, godless hatred. Even Judas realized that he was innocent. Pilate was convinced he was innocent. Mrs. Pilate knew he was innocent. And so we have innocence in one hand and a whole pile of responses to the innocence in the other. And guess what? We're in the story. We really are. We've got to look and listen and learn. The gospel writers give us only the barest of details about the death of Jesus. I'm sure you've noticed that before. Maybe you've been told that before. In fact, half a verse, half of verse 35, when they had crucified him, that's it. That's all the detail we're given about the actual crucifixion, the briefest of details. And yet, we're given a great deal of detail about the trials and the abuse of Jesus. Half a verse to describe the act of crucifixion, half a verse. 
And lots and lots and lots of verses describe the mistreatment and the abuse. Why? Why do the gospel writers do that? They all do that. Why? Well, basically, it's there to warn us. To warn us. To warn us about what's at stake. Because we've got innocence in one hand, and we've got all these responses to the innocence on the other hand. And, and the gospel writers, God is saying to us, don't go the wrong way. Don't respond in the wrong way. So today again, we are presented with the beautiful innocence, the pure and perfect innocence of Jesus. And the question will be, what is our response to that innocence? How do we respond to the Savior? By the way, we're going to see that again on Friday night. I urge you to come along to that. And again, next Sunday morning, we're going to see responses to the innocent Savior crucified and risen. Now, Jesus takes center stage as he always does. He is the center of all the attention. But there are other characters and other groups in this passage before us today. Judas is number one. You remember that from the beginning of the reading. Then we have the religious leaders. Then we have Pilate and Mrs. Pilate. Then we have the crowd. Then we have this guy called Barabbas. All of them respond in different ways. And I suppose you might be sitting there thinking, I hope you're thinking, well, I wonder which one I'm most like. Which one am I most like? Well, actually, the troublesome answer is all of them. To some degree or other. We're going to see that. Or at least I am. Alistair McNeely is in each of these different groups or individuals in some way. And the gospel is calling me to change, to be changed in the power of grace. See, our response to the innocence and to the saving work of Jesus brings either joy or trauma. And our response, I suppose, will determine which. Let's look at each individual one at a time and see what we might learn. Responding to Jesus is the title. What about Judas? Because what we see in him is continual rebellion. That's his response, continual rebellion. Verse 3, when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned to 30 Silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they said? That's your responsibility. Seems like a, a good start, but let's let, stick with it because the rebellion continues in Judas. What a waste at this guy called Judas. His, his story ends in total despair. There's lots of emotions, you notice that, but no, no repentance. I suppose that's the, the key thing we want to learn. Seized with remorse, verse 3, he was. Yes, there was anguish, but no repentance. Sorrow for what he'd done, but he didn't turn in faith to Christ. There was shame, but he didn't seek forgiveness. His eyes were open. That's good. Isn't it good? When Jesus, who had betrayed him, saw 
that Jesus was condemned. His eyes were open, good, but he tries to fix things by himself, bad, bad. He returned the silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. At least he calls it what it is. It's sin. He says, I have sinned. I'm sure you noticed there, he didn't get much spiritual direction from the spiritual leaders. What is that to us? That's your responsibility. Your fault. Too bad. Too late. And he went away. He threw the money at them. He went away. And tragically, horribly, shockingly, he takes his own life. What was Judas trying to do? He was trying to clear his conscience. He was trying to purchase a clean conscience. And in doing so, in the wrong way, in this way, he merely continues his rebellion. He merely continues his rebellion. He actually tries to pay for his own sin. The first way was, take the money back, take the money back. And when that didn't work, he says, I'll take my own life. Take my own life. And that didn't work either. Because it's only the death of Jesus, not the death of Judas, that can set our conscience free. He made an awful mistake. Yes, there was clear regret, remorse, but no repentance. And so ongoing or continual rebellion, we might call it, Here's how Paul writes about repentance. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. But I've left a little bit out there, didn't I? Uh, and leaves no regret. Yeah, but no, it's all there, sorry. Godly sorrow brings repentance, leads to salvation, but, and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. That was a senior moment I had there. And that's exactly what happened with, with Judas. Lots of sorrow, but no repentance. It's easy to be sorry, isn't it? Sorry that we've made a mistake. Sorry we've got things wrong. Sorry we got caught. But that's not godly sorrow. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. Worldly sorrow leads to death. And any response to our sin other than repentance is actually, friends, useless, it's worthless, it's dangerous. And if only, if only he had waited, if only he had waited for Easter Sunday, if only he had waited for the resurrection. But no, a tragic waste. He thought, there's no hope for me. I feel a lot of emotion, he says, but I'm not, I'm not going to trust in the only one who can save me. See, remorse is not the answer. Repentance is the only answer. I ask you, how do you respond to sin and unbelief? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <sighs> Caught again, challenged again, but no repentance. Judas 
takes his life as Jesus was preparing to give his life. The irony is lost. It's not lost on us, I hope. Judas takes his life as Jesus was preparing to give his life. You see, there's nothing good about sin, friends. Never, ever. Why do we fall for that lie that somehow it's worth it? It's never worth it. We should never make light of sin. We should never play with it. We should never start making excuses about it. And that's what happened, Judas. He started playing with sin in his mind. And he became blinded and he became trapped. And ultimately, he, he was destroyed. And yet, he had a, he had, even at this last moment, he had, a, he had an opportunity to repent. Uh, uh, but no, he, he, he chose ongoing rebellion packaged in despair. Yeah, packaged in despair. Packaged in self-efforts, but not. Not repentance. I don't think there's any sane person in this building today that isn't sorry for the sin that might be in their lives. If you're not sorry, you are insane. but have you repented? The second response is the religious leaders in um, 6 to 10. We'll not read those verses again, but we see after a mock trial, verses 1 and 2, a mockery of a trial, they produced a travesty of justice and a death penalty. However, if you, maybe you don't know, but these Jews needed Roman authority to sanction the execution. So we we see them bring Pilate into play. But the blatant hypocrisy of all this is, is here to, to be seen. And we'll put it up there just to, it's okay to break the sixth commandment, verse one, murder an innocent man, but it's not okay to accept the blood money that, that Judas wants to give back to them in verse six. Do you see the irony there? Okay to murder an innocent man, but not okay to accept money back that had been given for the purpose of Judas betraying Jesus, you know, blood money. They kept the law when it suited them. They accepted the Bible when it suited them. As somebody says, they had a ton of religion without an ounce of spirituality. Lots and lots of religion, no relationship with God. It can happen. It does happen. It's happening all over our world today. Lots and lots of religion, less and less spirituality. And the, the blatant hypocrisy continues there in verse 7. Maybe you should read that. Um, it is against the law to put this into the treasury since it's blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. Oh, that was very kind and generous of them, wasn't it? hiding behind a good deed, even though it was based upon blatant hypocrisy. As another commentator said, the religious show must go on. The hypocrisy of it all. The hypocrisy of it all. The outward show of obedience to the law when it suited them. Just formal good works for a show. They pretended to know and have God, but it was not real. See, religion actually is made for this, and religion leads us to this. If, if we just give ourselves to religion, it will lead us to basically hypocrisy. 
Religion is unable to remake us, unable to change us. Christ alone brings us radical new beginning. Religion, therefore, is like a trap. It's like a honey trap. It's easy. It's attractive. It promises much, but it actually delivers nothing. It's carnal. It's easy. It's useless. And as per normal, religion responds with hypocrisy. It urges us, encourages us, enables us to be hypocritical. Judas, therefore, is the ongoing rebel when he could have repented. The religious leaders blatant hypocrisy when they could have worshipped the king of the church. No. Pilate is the next guy, the next person, the next group of people we're going to look at. We're going to look at Pilate and his wife. Absolute fear. Oh, he's an extremely complex man, isn't he? Pilate, a people pleaser, and he tried to keep everybody happy. And of course, that's what a lot of us do in life. We try and keep our spouse happy. We try and keep our children happy, parents happy, friends happy. Time is running out for Pilate. He's forced into a decision. The pressure is on. Would he follow his conscience because he knew that Jesus was innocent? Would he follow his conscience or would he follow the crowd? And in the end, like a politician, he was very pragmatic. Forget about your conscience. Let's just follow the crowd. Now, at least he tries, verses 15 to 17. Let's read those verses. Now, it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked him, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus is called Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they'd handed Jesus over to him. So the custom, release a prisoner. Barabbas is a, a notorious prisoner Surely the crowd would choose Jesus to be released, not Barabbas. So, the, so Pilate presents the crowd with a choice of the two. Mrs. Pilate intervenes, you'll notice that. And like most wives, most of the time, she is wise advice. Notice I didn't say every time. Most wives are wiser than most husbands. Verse 19, while Pilate was sitting at the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message, don't have anything to do with an innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. So Pilate tries to manipulate the crowd, verses 21 to 23, you can see that there. But the crowd, you see, they're baying for blood. They intimidate Pilate. They bully him. And even though Pilate knows what he ought to do, he doesn't do it because they just squeeze him, pressurize him. And in verse 24, he basically shifts the blame. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. But he could have washed his hands a million times. And he would never wash his guilt away. Our hands are guilty. Mine and yours. We put him on the cross. It was for us he died. Us. We're all guilty. We need to show faith. But am am I really like him? Am I really like Pilate? I'm as bad as that. Maybe not in a spectacular way. No, of course not. That was a unique situation at a unique time, in a unique way. But subtly, very often, we can be like Pilate. 
a lack of courage to act, full of fear of the people near us. You know, so husbands and dads just will not stand up and be husbands and dads for fear. Can't make that decision about the call to salvation or obedience to the living God or a life of holiness or commitment or service. We know that all these things are right. We do, we do, we do. Our conscience tells us again and again, every time we hear the word of God, there it is, the same message, same drumbeat, same drumbeat, same drumbeat. But fear stops us doing what is right. And everything in his head and heart was say, do the right thing, Pilate. Let him go. He's innocent. Release him. Even his wife said, don't do the wrong thing, husband. But in the light of the facts, the innocence of Jesus, he was faithless. He had the courage to do what is the right thing. I wonder, is that your problem? You know what is the right thing, but you struggle to do the right thing out of fear. Oh, I will let them down. The cost is going to be too great. The fear of God paralyzes us. I say to you again, believe the gospel. Look at the mirror of the gospel. If you're going to fear anyone, fear the living and true God who will hold you to account. Oh, yes, he will. And me too. So Judas, the ongoing rebel, the religious leaders, blatant hypocrites, Pilate, fearful. What about the crowd? 20 to 25, miserable ignorance. Uh, we see this in verse 25, for instance. Uh, and the people answered, you know, is, is your responsibility, says Pilate. The people answered, let his blood be on us. And as we noted in our staff meeting on Wednesday, and on our children. They were ignorant of what they were doing. Ignorant of the effect that they were having on their children and future generations. They had no clue. And they seemed happy in their ignorance. And the crowd were united in vicious hatred. Kill him. Crucify him. Get rid of him. We don't want him. That's an example of mob rule and blackmail. And they wanted a thief, a murderer free, and they wanted Jesus dead. Snarling for blood, demanding his death. Palm Sunday, as we thought about with the children. Oh, Jesus is king. Oh, here he is. He's the king. Now crucify him. A week's a very long time in everything. Even here in Jerusalem. Ignorance leads to rebellion. By nature, do you know what we say? By nature, we say to God, we don't really want you. Or we want you in a limited way. We don't want your rule, or we'll accept your rule in some things. We don't want you as king. Independence from God. It sounds like freedom, doesn't it? But actually, it's slavery of the worst kind. We're slaves to ourselves. We're, we're slaves to sin. Ultimately, by the way, and we don't want to hear this, we're slaves to Satan. Do we really want to be ignorant of what's going on? The last thing is, is uh, Barabbas. The last character, 
he, he's a major part to play, would you believe it, in the whole thing, but we don't hear him speak and we don't see him act. He's a murderer, a rebel against um, the Roman um, nation, the Roman government, and he wanted to destroy Rome. He, he's guilty as charged. He deserves death. But the innocent man, Jesus, took the place of the guilty man, Barabbas. And the, the, if you can see Abba, you can see Abba in Barabbas. We know Abba means father. So his name means a son of a father was set free because of the one who was the son of the father. Again, just a way, the beautiful way the gospel works out and shows us the revelation of truth. So picture what Jesus was doing for me and for you on the cross. Barabbas walks free because of Jesus. We can walk free because he pays the price of our sin. Jesus bore the guilt and the, the shame and the curse, the disgrace and the death we deserve. And Barabbas and people like you and me receive freedom, rescue, and life and salvation. Now, it would be absolutely crazy, would it not, if, if um, somebody came in and said, Barabbas, you're free to go. I said, oh, you know what? I think I'll just stay here in, in the prison cell and stay in my chains. And uh, you know what? I'll, uh, I'll just go to the cross. doesn't seem that bad. That would have been crazy. Absolutely crazy. Even somebody as bad as Barabbas knew he was free. And we are crazy if we say, I know what Jesus has done. I know why he did it, but I don't want it. I'm happy to stay in my spiritual prison. I'm happy to try and pay for my own sin myself. It's crazy. And yet many people say it and do it. We're in a, a period of little blessing. We don't say this boastfully. We say this humbly. God has saved a number of people, I think at least five in the last number of weeks, one just last week, last Thursday night. I wonder, is the Spirit striving with us at these moments and calling you to saving faith in Jesus? Because you see, we're in the story somewhere. Maybe it's ongoing rebellion, just like Judas. Perhaps there's some regret. Every so often there's a sense of remorse, but really we're, we're still going on in our life of rebellion. Or, or maybe it's hypocrisy, like the religious leaders. There's lots and lots of religion. And you want, you're still doing church, which is good, by the way, because it's here that you might hear the truth. But actually, it's not real. And you know it's not real. Or, or, or what about fear of people, or you're scared let your children die, or your parents die, or your friends die, or, or you're just fearful of making those choices that will demand change, and, and, and there's, there's plenty of hand washing, you know, it's not, it's, my, it's not my fault, you know, the church is to blame, or the Christians are to blame, or everybody's to blame, God's to blame, not me, maybe that's where you are, fear. Maybe it's ignorance. Maybe you actually don't understand what this cross stuff is all about. Why is the resurrection so important? Well, c come on Friday night, next Sunday, and, and you will learn. Maybe you think, actually, ignorance is bliss. No, it's not. Or maybe it's Barabbas. 
and because of Jesus, you're rescued and you're saved and you're free because Jesus took your place. We're in the story somewhere. Where are you? Where am I? Now is the time for us to respond to what Jesus has done. Let's pray. I'm not going to speak for a minute or two. That's going to be very hard for me, as you might know. But I'm going to let you, where you're sitting right now, in the quietness of your own heart, respond to the innocence and the beauty of our Savior. Jesus, beautiful, innocent, loving, gracious Jesus. Thank you for telling us the bad news so that we might receive the good news. And we pray that as we think about these things, as we hear and seek to understand your gracious warning to us. And also as we seek to hear and understand your gracious invitation to us. May we not waste it. May we not continue in any kind of rebellion or pretense or fear or ignorance. But may we indeed be rescued from ourselves and from our sin. And we know that when we are free in Christ, we're free forever and we're free to enjoy the best in life. Lord, speak to us and lead us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.